we've taken this year to seek out a, a way of understanding the kingdom of God. And what we're studying right now are the promises of the kingdom of God. And these promises, they are realized in as much as we are living out these Beatitudes. And so we're actually doing a study of the Beatitudes. It's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And what we see here are characteristics of those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. And when we live out those characteristics, we get to enjoy the promises that, that go along with them. There's a corresponding promise with, with every characteristic that we are to live out as citizens of the kingdom of God. And, and every one of them begins with this word, blessed. And we've been talking about this. If you haven't been here, it's the word makarios, which means possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. And this blessedness, it's not for just the elite Christians. This blessed, these blessed qualities are true of all Christians, made actual in Christ, sought by all saints, and partner with these wonderful promises. Now, now, none of us is going to live out these characteristics perfectly as Christ did. But as we grow into them, as we, as we live them out with, with the best of the ability we have, spirit-empowered ability, we're going to see these promises and we're going to experience these wonderful blessings that come to this way of life that is the life in the kingdom of God. So our text today, our text today is it's going to tell us about the, the promises that belongs to, to being peacemakers. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Again, this is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Our verse today is verse 9, but Keegan is going to come and he's going to read the whole thing for us. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, and Keegan is going to read for us verses 3 through 12. Keegan, go ahead and read that for us. Uh, try it again, see if you're... Blessed are the poor in spirit for there is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for there shall be set for they shall be satisfied blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who pers are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There were, there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Well done, Keegan. Read the whole thing. Good job, buddy. That's wonderful. So if you will, look in verse 9. That's where we are this morning. This is what we're going to, to give our attention to. We're going to focus on what it means to be peacemakers. And what it looks like to enjoy the promise of being sons of God, being called sons of God. So let's understand our terms. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. So what are peacemakers? Peacemakers are followers of Jesus who serve to bring reconciliation to broken relationships. We, we are servants of Christ. And, and as Christ came to, to bring peace to relationships that were broken by conflict, so now we... 
walking and living as Christ, living under the authority of Jesus Christ, we serve his purpose. And, and this is the ministry, not of just pastors and clergy. This is the ministry for all who believe. This is 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This, this ministry has two facets to it. There's both a, a vertical and a horizontal facet to this. The, the vertical sense of this is that we are to represent Christ to the world so that they can gain peace with God. The only way a human being who has sinned against God can have peace with God is through Jesus Christ because it is only through Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ is the one who has paid the penalty for sin. He is the one who has now ascended and is at the right hand of the Father who is in heaven. And it is only through Christ that we can have access to the Father, that we can have peace with God, and that we can be made whole. And having been made whole, we're, we're free, we're liberated, we're empowered now to, to create peace that is horizontal, peace in our relationships. And so as Christians... We have a responsibility not only to tell and help people to have peace with God, but we have a responsibility to be peacemakers, to be people who go into circumstances. They may be ones that directly relate to us, maybe those that we love and care about that we've come in contact with. And we are to bring the gospel to bear on those circumstances and help people walk through a peacemaking process that we're going to see in our scripture today. Now, the second term, so the first term is peacemakers. We, those are those who are saved by grace, who are now working to bring reconciliation from, to people well, with God through faith in Christ and then into their other relationships. Now, what does it mean to be called sons of God? Sons of God. This is, this is not a neuter language. This is language that is specifically masculine. So what does this mean? Why sons of God? Does this not apply to women? That, that would be an excellent question, an important question, and absolutely it does. Let me explain why. To be called sons of God means to be heirs of all the blessings of God the Father. To be called sons of God means to be heirs of all the blessings of God the Father. And this is the blessing of every single Christian, both men and women, uh, those who are young and those who are old. It says in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Again, notice that language, sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In the ancient Near East, it was understood that the eldest son would receive the benefit of the inheritance of the Father. Now, in Christ, that is... is is, is true except that we are all considered sons. We are all considered the eldest uh, of God's family. We all receive equally what God has given to us in Christ Jesus. So it says in Ephesians 1 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. That's every Christian, every disciple of Jesus, every person who has ever repented and believed the gospel and been saved. Us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not only do we have the blessing of a future home in heaven, but in this life right here and now, we have every spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer. And we receive that as the eldest son would have received uh, from the father. We all receive that from the father, having been adopted as his children. And so to be called sons of God, is to, is to be recognized as those who have been blessed by God, who have every spiritual blessing from God. And it's crucial that we understand what makes us peacemakers and what makes us sons of God. This is very important. We should not believe, and please understand what, what the text is saying, being a, peacemaker, being a peacemaker does not make you a son of God. Being a son of God makes you a peacemaker. And you are made a son of God by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We are adopted by God the Father. We are given the full inheritance of his blessing as sons of God. And as children of God, we are to be in the business, the family business of God. That, that we are to live out as citizens of the kingdom of God. The, the Father, our Father is the God of grace and mercy. And he sent Jesus to come and to rescue sinners and to bring peace in and through us. And because we are sons of God, again, we are sons of God by grace through faith in Christ alone. Because we are sons of God, we are now peacemakers. And I'm going to put this on the screen. I want to, I want to really bring emphasis to make sure you're, you're catching what I'm, what I'm throwing, that, that you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Our identity in Christ drives our activity in the world. Our identity, who we are, drives what we do. And then we are recognized by what we do, and that reveals our identity. So once you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, you become a son of God with, with all the inheritance rights that, that, that Christ can bring. And, and as a part of being this child of God, you are now brought into the family business, which is the business of peace. And we become peacemakers. This week I was, I was being interviewed and I was introduced as the pastor of Living Hope, which is not an unusual thing. But then the, the person who was introducing me began to talk about the ministry of Living Hope, how it is a thoroughly biblical ministry, how it is a ministry that not only blesses our children and, and, and families and, and senior adults and college students, but how it's a ministry that blesses our city and our nation and the world. And the, the, the person that, that I was then talking with and, and that I was being introduced to and that, that we were, as we were talking about the ministry, I realized I am being identified as a person who believes and lives out these ministries because I am a member of Living Hope, because I am the, I am the pastor here at Living Hope. My identity, what I'm known for is to be the pastor of this church, which drives my activity. And my activity and the activity of this church, well, it reflects on who I am and people understand who I am based on what I do. What I do does not make me who I am. Who I am drives what I do. But what I do 
will reveal ultimately who I am. And so it is for everyone who is in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Having been saved, we will become what Christ has called us to be, peacemakers. And as we live out our identity and as we do the work that God's called us to do, this ministry of reconciliation that's, that's mentioned and, and we saw there in 2 Corinthians 5, we will be recognized as children of God. And, and those who live out and, and, and are serving this peacemaking cause, it's going to be a blessing. This activity, again, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. This activity of peacemaking is fundamental to what it means to be sons of God. It's so fundamental that as a, as a part of becoming a minister on our staff, it's actually on every staff member's job description that they have to be a peacemaker. All of our staff have to be trained in peacemaking. And then one of the things that you'll, whether you recognize it or not, every single year, a, a sermon like this will be preached at Living Hope, a sermon on peacemaking. So for those of you, if this is, you know, this is your first time to be with us, good for you. You get to hear this at least once this year. But, but for the rest of us, this needs to be something that we are very, very familiar with. Now, I carry around with me the peacemaking documents that we use. And so I, I took a quick picture of those. Um, this is on my phone and, and these are, are in my, uh, on my iPad. So that at any given moment, I can serve as a peacemaker. I can speak to uh, what it is we do. Now, these are the four G's. And this is what we're going to see in our text today. These four G's speak to the, the basic principles of peacemaking. We glorify God. We get the log out of our own eye. We gently engage others. And we go and be reconciled. And, and that's what we're going to see peacemaking is all about. And so as a way to help us understand these beatitudes, we've taken a particular story or person in the Bible that would reveal that to us. And so today, we're, we're going to use a, a, a funny name and kind of a, a, a familiar name in the Old Testament. The, the guy we're going to look at, his name is Phinehas. Phinehas. But we are not looking at Eli's boy because he was, that, that guy was messed up. We're, we're not going to be in 1 Samuel. We're going to be in Joshua 22. So if you would, let's leave Matthew chapter 5 and let's make our way to Joshua chapter 22. And there we will find that, that, that this Phinehas, son of Eliezer, that he is the high priest of, of the people of God, of Israel and the 12 tribes. And these tribes were about to go to war, 10 on 2. There were two tribes that had land on the east side of the Jordan River. There were 10 other tribes that were on the west side of the Jordan River. And as, as you study the book of Joshua, what you realize is there came a point where there was enough that had been accomplished that these two tribes that promised Moses they would go over and fight with their brothers are being released from their responsibilities to continue to fight with the 10 tribes. So what you'll read there in verses 1 through 9, just glance at it in, in Genesis, and there in Joshua 22, 1 through 9, is you'll see that they're being released to go back to their own land. So they're going to go back to the other side of the Jordan where they have towns and villages and hundreds of thousands of people and livestock and lives. So they're going back, but they're concerned that having left the, the western portion of the Jordan River that they'll be forgotten. That there may come a day when those 10 other tribes say, you know, we, we don't care about you all. You're way over there. We don't even want you to be a part of this anymore. And so to keep that from happening, 
they set up an altar. Now again, this was not appropriate. This was not a good idea. But what they were thinking was, we want to remind our children that we belong to these eastern tribes. And we want those eastern tribes to remember that we're a part of, 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 this, of this nation that is Israel. So they, they, set, up, they set up this altar. And, and you see that in verse 10. And, and then you look in verses 11 through 12 and you see the other tribes, the other 10 tribes' response. It was not positive and it shouldn't have been. This was wrong. What they, what they were doing, they had the right heart, the right intention, you might say, but the activity was, was, was wrong. And so the other 10 nations rally, they rally their armies and there's about to be war. These 10 tribes are about to go and slaughter the other two tribes, the Eastern tribes of, of Israel. Before they do that, they do something very wise. They send peacemakers. They send Phinehas as the high priest and the 10 tribal chiefs of the other 10 tribes to go and talk with these guys. Now they have a conversation and what we see in their conversation are the principles for peacemaking. This is what it looks like to be a peacemaker, which will reveal our identity as, as sons of God. So write down and remember these things about peacemakers. The first one is this. Peacemakers have the goal of glorifying God. Their goal is to glorify God. Their goal is not to be seen as right. Their goal is not to win the argument. Their goal is not to gain power. Their goal is not to have things they want them, the way they want them. Their goal is to glorify God. So look in verse 16. Look how they frame the question as they come in contact with these two tribes. They say, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel? Notice the, the crime here. Notice the brokenness. It's against God. They've done something that goes against the word of God. In turning away uh, this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord. Notice how they framed the conversation. They didn't walk in and say, we're mad at you. Look what you've done to us. We're, we're, we're sick and tired of you acting like this. I, I'm, we're not going to put up with this from you. No, no, no. What, how they begin is they frame the conversation by saying, friends, we exist to glorify God. Our goal is to glorify God. They come from the perspective of, and they say it publicly, we're here to glorify God. What you're doing does not glorify God. We need to glorify God as Christians, as citizens of the kingdom of God. We are called to do all that we do for God's glory. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 11. To this end, that is our goal, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every good work by faith, by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so easy when we perceive a wrong just to say whatever comes out of our hearts. Say whatever first comes to our heart. First, what the words that come out of our minds. And, and friends, that, that, that's not going to help things. Here's what happens often in conflict. People will have a conflict with one another, and, and that's something that needs to be dealt with. But rather than, than being able to deal with, the, with what, what really needs to be talked about, 
the tone, the attitude, the, the way that other people come seems selfish. And so rather than dealing with the real problem is, people start arguing about side issues. The, well, I don't like the way you did. I don't like, no, no, no. Don't argue about what you don't need to be arguing about. Speak to the conflict, but do it to the glory of God. You know, those of you who are married, those of you who have family, friends, be so careful how you talk to one another. Speak to one another in such a way that it glorifies God. Parents, absolutely we must correct our children, but let's do it for the glory of God. Husbands and wives, yes, you're going to have conflict. As you talk through what you don't agree on, do it for the glory of God. And, and in, in our friendships, our professional, academic, and, and sporting life, other things that you're involved in, we, we must in all things glorify God, I put this on the screen to remind you, the best thing we can do is to determine how our words and actions would best glorify God before we say or do anything. Do not let expediency or your concept of how important this is and how quickly it must be dealt with corrupt the conversation that needs to be had. I make this mistake all the time. I'm in a hurry, I wanna get this done. So I say something the way I want to say it to deal with the situation the way I want it dealt with so that it can be done so I can check it off my list and so I can move on. But th that's not glorifying God. That's glorifying me. That's, make, that's pleasing me. It doesn't necessarily please God. In everything we do, we are to glorify God. Especially in difficult conversations, we need to, we need to frame the conversation as one that is meant to glorify God. God. And that's what Phinehas and the, and the 10 uh, tribal leaders did. Second thing, peacemakers have the humility. They have the humility to see the log in their own eye. So often to win the argument, what people will do is they'll ignore all the things they've done wrong and only focus on what the other person needs to change. This is not the approach that Phinehas and these 10 tribal leaders took. Look in verse 17. Look at the humility here. Have we not had enough of, of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? Friends, none of us is perfect. Not one person in this room is perfect. The only person who ever lived a perfect life was Jesus Christ. The rest of us have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Remember this, in any conflict or issue, we may only be 1% responsible for the problem, but we are 100% responsible for our 1% of the problem. It takes two to tango. <laughs> and, and in any argument, there's, there's always at least two parties. And everyone must be responsible for their wrong. And, and again, yours may only be 1%, but you're 100% responsible for your 1%. And, and, it is, and it is wise and it is good having established the goal of glorifying God is to humbly recognize that, that we're all far from perfect. We've all blown it and we need to willingly admit our own faults. And so Phineas and the 10 chiefs, they're talking about Peor. Now, what is he talking about here? This is a, this is a mountain that is, um, it's north of the Dead Sea and it's where Israel fell into sin. There was a deity known as Peor. And, and so this, this, 
uh, pagan deity, uh, Baal Peor, uh, is where Israel turned away from God and they worshiped this idol. And so this is Numbers 25.3. Numbers 25.3, it says, So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And so what they did was they said, look, we're not saying we're perfect. We're not saying we've got our act together. We're, we're still dealing with the consequences of turning against God. And so we want to, we come and we admit, hey, look, we've messed up. We, we've not been perfect. We're not holier than that. We're not here with just the accusatory tone. What we're saying is we've blown it before. Let's don't blow it again. You know, that we've made this mistake before. The mistake that we perceive you making now, this is not helpful. What peacemakers do is they connect with the other person and say, look, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying that we've all sinned. And, and there is something that has happened that, that you've done, that you've chosen to do. And I want to talk to you about it. I, I don't want to manipulate you. I'm not here to win an argument. I just want to glorify God. I want to obey God here. And, and I want to talk to you as one sinner to another. Someone who's blown it before and will blow it again. I'm not here to, to condemn you. I'm here to have a conversation about something that is wrong. So there is a desire to glorify God. There's a humility that says, I'm not God. I'm not your judge. I'm not perfect, but I'm here to talk to you so that we can deal with what's going on. And then there's a heart issue. Here's the third thing. Peacemakers have the heart to gently engage others. The heart to gently engage others. So you look at the last part of verse 19. They come and they say, look, we're not perfect. We blew it at Peor. He, it, and, and, and you got, you know, we're dealing with the constant. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord or make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Here's what they're doing. They say, look, we don't want to fight. We don't want to have this battle. And, and let's deal with what you've done, which is wrong. And, and let's make this thing right. They don't want war. They want peace. And that is true of the sons of God. We are those who want peace. We don't want drama. We don't want attention to ourselves. We don't want to start problems. We want peace. As sons of God, we want peace. And so we have to be very careful about our words. This is Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. They came and they were very gentle in their words. Look, we've blown it. Look, man, let's don't do this. Let's don't go down this road. We've been down this road before. What you're doing is wrong. When you're gently engaging others, that does not mean that you have to leave out information. So many times there, there are those who, who want to gently engage. And by doing that, they think, well, I can't bring up these things because it might make them mad. It might make them upset. You can't do that. You have to be honest. Now, again, when you come to glorify God and you do it with a gentle heart, with gently with, you know, with this gentleness and with humility, it makes it a whole lot easier for other people to hear it. Using a gentle voice, it changes everything. I mean, there, there are a lot of ways to ask about a problem. Let, let's think about three ways that, that, that you could ask about a problem. There's, there's one way. What's your problem? If I come walking up to some of you at the end of the service today and I get in your face and I maybe poke you in your shoulder and say, what's your problem? Might you want to fight me? Might you want to run if I'm bigger, right? 
yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, or, or what if I came up and, and, and I said, uh, what, what seems to be the problem? Now, now, that might shake you a little bit like, oh my, what, what's going on? Did I, have I done something? What, what, what seems the problem? Or, or maybe there seems to be a problem. How can I help? The tone changes everything. It goes from being an accusatory tone to a tone that says, I want to serve. I, I want to help things. And friends, can I just tell you something about tone? Tone cannot be picked up on text messages or emails. A few years ago, someone who cares about me said, look, from now on, when you send a text, you've got to use emojis. And I'm like, what a waste of time. I don't have time for emojis. Nonsense. Why do I have to use emojis? So I'm just telling you, everyone freaks out when they get texts from you because they think you're mad. I'm not mad. I'm just asking questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm just making say, mm-hmm, sounds like you want to fight every time you, you send out a text. And so I started using emojis. I think some of my favorites, those are all my favorites. I, I use emojis now. So you can't pick up sarcasm. You can't pick up jokes. And so, you know, I'll put it in. Now, if I am angry, there's an angry emoji out there. You can use that one, right? I'm mad. We can talk about this. But it is amazing since I've been using these emojis, the responses I get back. It's as if they are reading my mind and understanding where I'm coming from all of a sudden. Why? Because what do those emojis do? They communicate tone. Tone is so important. It creates this gentleness. It reveals this heart that says, I don't want to fight. I want to resolve a problem. And that's what Phinehas and the 10 chiefs did. That they came and said, look, we want to deal with this. So look at, look at how the Eastern tribes responded. Look at verses 22 through 29. Glance through through that real quick. Look, look at what they did. Uh, first of all, they admitted, they said, look, we, we want to honor God. We don't want to fight either. We're, we're not trying to do something wrong. We thought we were doing something right. And they explained, we wanted to have a reminder for our children and a reminder for y'all that, that we're all in this together. What, what our intention was, was good. And, and they said, look, we want peace. And so their response provided the response of Phinehas and the Ten Chiefs. Look at verses 30 and 31. It's relief. It's like, oh, good. We don't have to kill y'all today. That's great. That's a good day when you have to take somebody out. And so it allows this response. And, and what ultimately happens, and this is the fourth thing I want you to write down and remember, is that peacemakers have the joy of being reconciled. The joy of being reconciled. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs returned from, from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and bought, brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called their altars witness, for they said, it is a witness between us and the Lord, uh, us that the Lord is God. And they were reconciled. They, they were, they were, they were, there was peace. And you know what even happened? Their relationship grew stronger. This is the interesting thing about conflict. Now realize, put this on the screen for you. Everyone is either coming out of, in the middle of, or going into a conflict. Everybody in this room right now. You're either in the middle of one, you're coming out of one, or you're about to get in one. And our world is broken and there's going to always be conflict. But understand, every time peace is made, 
relationships get stronger. Isn't that good? Every time peace is made, relationships get stronger. One of the things I I learned uh, about trees is that trees that are put under duress are stronger. Trees that have water and sunlight and roots, uh, they, they, many of them don't get to maturity to be as strong as they could be because there's never anything that presses against them. See, when, when, when trees are pressed with, with violent storms or, or difficulties of wind, it, they create what is called reaction wood or stress wood. And it makes these trees stronger. And, and what ultimately happens is a stronger tree is produced by turmoil and tension. And so it is true of all of our relationships What conflict can do is it can make us stronger together. It enables us to deal with things that are wrong so that we can make them right. That's what peacemaking, that's what the goal is, to glorify God, to to resolve what has been wrong and to strengthen those relationships. Now, in order to do this, first and foremost, we have to have peace with God and peace within. Here's what I know about a person who has never made peace with God. You don't have peace within. You are constantly in turmoil about your own identity, what matters most, and what you're living for. Once you have peace with God, you can have peace within. And once you have peace within, you can have peace with others. So let me ask you, do you have peace with God? If you have peace with God, then you have the rights of of a son of God. And if you are a son of God, with all the rights and privileges, are you a peacemaker? Is there a conflict that you need to resolve? Are you aware of conflict where you need to serve as a peacemaker? Then you need to honor God and you need to fulfill God's calling on your life as his child. The the word teaches us how we must be faithful. Let's stand together as we pray. Uh, Care leaders, if you don't mind to come forward, I wanna encourage you this morning as we get ready to go, if, if you need to talk about having peace with God, if you need to wrestle through maybe how you can be a peacemaker, come and talk with these leaders and they can help you with that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, the gift that we have as your children. And we, we praise you, God, for the, the joy that is ours to be peacemakers and to experience peace Oh God, make us those who obey your word and who do what is right and best and be glorified in it, God. God, challenge our hearts. And today, if our heart is not right, please do a work in our heart. But Lord, give us the courage to seek peace with you and to make peace with others. To the praise of your great name, Lord, we wanna be like Jesus. We wanna honor you, Jesus. And so help us to be like you, Lord, a peacemaker. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name, amen.